both in terms of making a normative statement and in terms of making people's lives actually better to demonstrate that you feel sympathy with them and that you feel empathy with them and you are willing to side with them. The onus is therefore on opposition in this debate to prove to us that this is an illegitimate tactic for Western feminists to use to raise consciousness. With that in mind, two points. Firstly, we're going to be discussing like, legitimacy and cultural appropriation and fun buzzwords like that. And secondly, we're going to be talking about the intersection of racism and feminism in terms of Western feminist culture. Okay, see, like, just a few things now. Right? Like, this isn't a debate, obviously, about like, political classes, whereas we think that like, feminists have owe a particular duty to like, women of colour, and particularly Muslim women, who have been neglected vastly within the feminist movement so far, and who face problems far beyond the problems that many liberal, white, wealthy Western feminists face. So I'm happy to say this is the number one use of their authority. If you disagree with that, feel free to POI. Okay, so, what we, in terms of cultural appropriation, okay, what we argue is that like, you don't claim by this that you will understand it. This is like specifically why cultural appropriation is wrong is because it attempts to misrepresent and like a culture which you yourself cannot accurately represent and in doing so doesn't give credence to the culture which itself produced it. Why does this not fall into that? Two reasons. Firstly, because people interpret something, no thanks, Kian, in terms of the perspective and the light of which you are doing it. At the point at which what you are doing is saying, I am doing this for solidarity, and you can absolutely say, I am not doing this, because, and we think feminists probably will, because I think this will allow me to understand more of their culture. Uh, no thanks, Kian. Um, you don't get nearly that same degree. It's a similar situation to when someone does say a silent protest, right, and takes their mouth shut. That is not saying I understand what it is like to be a political prisoner. That is not saying I understand what it is like to live in a repressive regime. What that is saying is I sympathise with those. And here's a highly visual statement that reminds you of that. Okay. The second reason why it's not illegitimate is because the reason Islamophobia is bad is because Islamophobia misrepresents and distorts Islamic culture and prevents you from accessing that and living it out. Therefore, it does the exact same thing as cultural appropriation. So even if these guys prove, like, decide to prove that it is cultural appropriation, they still have to prove that it is actively harmful to addressing Islamophobia. In other words, we do accept sometimes that bad things have to be done for good ends. See that, like, using example, we kill people in war in the hope that we will, in the end, achieve a greater benefit. Can you have clarification? Yeah. Um, will you consult Muslim women before you do this act, or will you just do it unilaterally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that seems a fairly good thing to do. We're happy to say that we will, in fact, consult Muslim women. In the same way, we'll always consult the press groups when we're acting on their behalf, because otherwise that just seems kind of stupid and kind of a dick thing to do. Okay, let's move on, guys. In terms of the intersection of racism and feminism, okay? Like, the reason why wearing the hijab has become such a, like, a common view, a, a, a common tool for Islamophobia is twofold. 
One, it is a highly visual tool, okay? Hard to engage people with complex discussions of race and culture and gender. Much easier to engage them with a, with a like that simple visual image that you don't actually need to opt into, but instead do, like dis discuss simply by being there. We can co-opt that to our side to get some degree of discussion. But also the, the reason the hijab is being so mocked and so ridiculed on the behalf of anti-Islamic anti groups is because it deviates from what women are expected to do. It's not the norm for what women are expected to do. And by the way, in terms of cultural appropriation, we're also not really happy to concede that covering up yourself modestly is a uniquely Islamic thing. We think that Western women are also free to do that insofar as women have an ability to decide what they want to wear themselves. The problem is though, Oh, like I mean, I think clearly, if someone is just wearing a, is wearing a headscarf because that's part of their own culture, because that's what they want to do, it's fine. But given you specifically have to do this to show solidarity with Muslims, this also presumably means you have to do it even if Muslim women say no when you ask. Like, no, in terms of what solidarity is in terms of helping people, we're happy to agree that we are not the best judges of how to help people, except insofar as they tell us to do so, okay? That's like, that's literally what solidarity is. We're not going to run roughshod over the rights of other people. Okay, what happens now, however, is you massively improve your ability to engage and to increase consciousness amongst Western women and Western feminists, indeed Western public at large, on this issue. Twofold reasons. One, because at the point at which it becomes a more common thing amongst members of the general public to see women wearing the hijab and wearing the headscarf, you remove two things. One, you remove that automatic association of the hijab and of the headscarf with race and with religion. Beneficial, because now you can't have that instant snap Islamophobic response because you don't know who exactly you're retaliating against. Also beneficial, because now you don't have that same critique of it, that is, deviation from the norm. Western, Western like, racists, essentially, oppose the hijab because it is not their view of what their society should be, because they view their society as fundamentally changing around them. What we allow ourselves to do on our side, however, is we co-opt that so it is no longer a clear vision. Also what we do, crucially, to move on from just the public at large to feminists as a whole, is that we force feminists to engage with this. We don't think this is always going to be a tool that we will use all the time to again answer Owen's POI. Be just because we think silent protests are legitimate doesn't mean we think we should use silent protests all the time. There are, will be situations where they are not okay, I'm happy to not stand over doing that. Examples might be when Muslim women say, guys, we're not really okay with this. But crucially, what we do get now is we force people to engage with that, we force people to discuss this, uh, this intersection. Because it is far too easy for Western feminists to assume that all that happens is that, is an that racism is the only problem that lies at the heart of Islamophobia. Much better now, at which the point at which you force them to specifically consider the nation, the, sorry, the, the nature of, his, of, of sexism that Muslim women face, that that is shoved front and centre. And that is something you can't get on their side, first because like they can, they, they, first because by their own backgrounds, they are in a far worse ability to actually engage with that, and a far worse ability to actually discuss that. But now, however, at the point at which you yourself, every single day, and even if you are being critiqued, even if you have discourse and thought amongst women and amongst feminist movements as to, is this really a good thing? Still far better, because that discussion revolves now around racism and around sexism and how those two interact. 
The alternative is what we have seen so far, where it is far too easy to just like, condemn neo-colonialist attitudes or to condemn sexist attitudes and to not discuss how those two things actually interrelate. At the point at which this becomes a centerpiece, or like at least a tool in the arsenal of Western feminists, you force some degree of discourse that you don't get on their side at all. Ladies and gentlemen, because it is, it is legitimate to do so in pursuit of greater, in greater ends, because it achieves those greater ends by addressing long historic imbalances and injustices on behalf of the feminist community, we stand in proposition. Two things in this speech, uh, Madam Chair. First, I'm going to be telling you why this is wrong. It's just wrong-headed and wrong to do this. Why it's so offensive to so many people, and why doing that is a violation of like even white Western feminism's ideals, right? Second, I'm going to be talking to you about Islamophobia and symbolism, about why like you just increase Islamophobia and misrepresent symbolism on their side of the house. Firstly, two extraneous pieces of rebuttal, everything else is interwoven. So Keane comes up here and he says he wants to raise consciousness amongst white Western feminists that like you know about like the oppression of of Muslim women and like you know like how that intersects with racism and things like that, right? If what it takes for people to start considering the fact that Muslim women are oppressed is seeing like a caricature of what a Muslim woman looks like, except it's a white person. If once again we perpetuate the standard of what a woman is being a white woman, then we think that that's an unacceptable way to raise consciousness, right? If you can't actually get the people to start viewing like you know brown Muslim women wearing hijabs and things like that uh, as women themselves deserving of their liberty and deserving of not being discriminated against, I mean, that's an unacceptable way to go about raising consciousness, right? I think there's some tough talk that has to be done instead about like seeing Muslim women and like you know women from Islamic countries as women deserving of all their rights, right? Secondly, there's stuff about kind of like you know oh it's like silent protests, we're not actually claiming to be political prisoners, like recognize that this is just like a lazy like appeal to oppression. Just because people like you know do silent protests and act like they are political prisoners doesn't make it okay in this situation. In fact, it probably doubly doubly doesn't make it okay because. Like, there's nothing really comparative about wearing the hijab and being a political prisoner, right? We don't think that there's any real kind of like, you know, similarities between those two examples, so it's bizarre that you appeal to it as a precedent. I'm just kidding. No, thanks. Let's move on to why it is wrong, right? So firstly, we think that this debate is a little bit of nuance when we're talking about the Muslim women within this debate, right? So like, firstly recognize that Muslim women wear hijabs and niqabs and headscarves for various different reasons, right? An awful lot of them uh, do it voluntarily, right? They choose to do it because it is like a deep, for deeply personal religious reasons that ultimately vary from person to person, from female Muslim to female Muslim, and can only really properly be known by they themselves, right? It can only really be understood and fully bought into by themselves. Why? is this? It's because for them, the prerequisite to be able to wear this piece of religious headgear is to belong to that yeah. religion, to believe in certain religious ideas. For example, that like you know the, that the headscarf is a way of finally evading the pervasive male gaze. It's a way in which like you know modesty can actually be a virtue for feminist women and things like that. Right? We think that when you when like you know you see Western white women co-opting this symbol of yours and co-opting this tool of yours, it is very likely that you are going to be offended. Right? It is actually just demonstrably and empirically 
the case that an awful lot of leading feminist scholars, or leading like uh, female Islamic scholars, thought that this was offensive when it was done in places like California, right? Because for them, what it is is a taking away of a tool which is uniquely yours, right? There's a number of problems with it. Firstly, the fact that you don't meet the prerequisites of like you know actually being a Muslim and belonging to that religion in order to don that piece of religious headgear, right? They think that it's kind of like a half-hearted committal to what their ideology is, to what their specific brand of feminism and female empowerment is, and that that, that, that kind of half-heartedness is just tokenistic, and it doesn't offer them any kind of material help, and it's an empty gesture. Right? We also think that it's probably a patronising act for them to do so, to like for them to don a, a headscarf and say, do you know what, we understand what your oppression is now, or we represent what your oppression is now, or it's going to be us, the white, female, uh, white females, that are going to bring it into the wider eye, and it's not going to be you because you're so desperately oppressed that you'll never be able to do that, and you need some kind of white saviour. Right? We also think that it's probably going to be offensive because, yes. uh, because Western white women are going to be able to opt out of it at any time. Right? They get all the trendy luxuries of doing what's seen as a liberationary act of like, you know, donning this piece of headgear and showing solidarity. But when push comes to shove, if they're ever bullied in the streets for wearing it, they get to take it off. Muslim women do not have that option and are under obligation to keep it on, right? Because that's hugely offensive that you take all the luxuries that come with like doing an emancipatory act, but accept none of the consequences and none of the ills that go with it, right? But it's hypocritical and opportunistic, and it's going to be viewed as such. And it's going to cause an awful lot of hurt and an awful lot of offence that, like you know, is going to that, that like you know, is tantamount to these people from their views to Islamophobia as well. That's the water made. Sure. Secondly, <coughs> secondly, and additionally, right, recognise that there are also like probably a minority of Muslim women who do not opt into wearing the hijab like like voluntarily, right? That for some of them it is coercion, either formal or informal. Right, in, in, like in a number of countries, like it may be a case that, like you know, either their husbands or like you know their fathers said that this is something that you must do. Believe in this religion, that this is something that comes as part and parcel with it. It's also something that's done like informally because of the social narratives that are put out there about how there's a premium on modesty and things like that, and that they do it. Right, but like whichever way it's done, that recognise that for some of these women, it is a thing. It is a source of unease. Right, it is a thing that they do not fully are happy with, and like that does not make them fully happy. And that for them, it can be a kind of oppression that they just have to accept, and they're not fully happy. With. With, right? Recognize then if like one of the de facto authorities of feminism in the world, as white Western feminism is, unfortunately, that for them to do that, that this is going to be them co-opting a, a, a symbol of oppression for them, right? Recognize that this is also a fesh, uh, offensive because then it enters into the feminist canon and the Western canon that there is nothing oppressive ever at any time, in any way, in any place about a headscarf, right? For these women, they are living examples that it sometimes can be, and it invalidates their experience. Again, like it to be hugely offensive and cause huge degrees of hurt for them. Before I go on to the second point, yes. Okay, the he attacking the hijab is a common weapon of Islamophobia, both legislatively and physically attacking. Therefore, given Islamophobia also gives all the harms you talk about, isn't preventing that by ensuring that attacks on the hijab are attacks on white women as well? Perfect. This is why like Islamophobia gets worse on your side of the house. Second point, Islamophobia and symbolism, right? So there needs to be discussion, ladies and gentlemen, about where Islamophobia actually comes from in the West, right? It's not something, like racism, generally speaking, isn't like hugely organically occurring. It does have reasons, like, you know, misplaced though they are, right? But in the Western world, why Islamophobia happens is because there's like a conspiracy theory amongst Islamophobes that Islam is ingratiating itself into places like America and places like Europe. That this is done through the changing of its culture and the erosion of Western values and things like this. It's the standard narratives that like any website like Stormfront are going to spin to you and any racists that like you know attend like you know 
with pegadenesis and things like that, right? This is like, you know, what their narrative and what they're given is, right? When what you do is you co-opt a symbol of Islam and, and put it on like Western people and things like that, that validates their narrative. It's a confirmation bias that they were right all along and that even the most like, you know, liberal of institutions, white Western feminism, are able are like able to fall prey to like, you know, this, this monster that is ingratiating Islam, right? You, you endorse the narratives that they want to believe in. What's the comparative on our side of the house? How do we do things better on our side of the house? We think that using symbols is probably a clumsy way to do things because they can be misunderstood like this. What we think would be better if they opened up genuine discourse with these people, or even better, were able to help in some way with all the like, like all the power and resources that white people <coughs> to enable like you know uh, 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 Muslim women to be able to communicate with these people why they are wrong and why the headscarf is not something that they should fear and is not a cause for phobia. For so many, for these reasons and so many more, we are very happy to oppose. Wow, two things. First of all, I think it is absolutely essential that Western feminism looks itself in the eye and faces the issues that it itself has with excluding Muslim women from that discourse. And number two, why we think that it fulfills a central tenet of all feminism uh, to do this, which is to choose the idea that women only do things because they are forced to do so, or that we should challenge why it is that women do anything. Rebuttal, number one. The first thing he tells us essentially in the speech is that it is a caricature when a white feminist it's what when a white feminist puts on a headscarf. Be very careful, right? A Western feminist does not necessarily entail being white. There are entire schools of thought which no, 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 guys. There are entire schools of thought which in the US, for example, massively, that you are erasing when you say that all of Western <coughs> feminism can be reduced to white feminism. It, white, white feminism. It cannot. Notice that you are erasing the entirety of critical race theory, for example. That's problematic for your side of the house. Being a Western feminism does not require you to be white. Number two, the idea that it is wrong because we are taking away a tool that is uniquely yours and we are doing half-heartedly and the problem is that you as a western feminist can take off that scarf <coughs> at any point and therefore continue to live your life that is an argument against western feminists ever taking up the mantle of struggles faced by non-western feminists notice as a western feminist you can always opt out of doing ministry work for women who do not face the same kind of oppressions that you do that is not a reason to never do it we also would suggest that feminists generally while often a lot of feminists are bad feminists, that good feminists are not terrible people, and we hope and we pray that they will do so in a way that is respectful. We imagine that they will. Number three, the idea that we are invalidating the experiences of women who don't want to wear the headscarf and are forced to. Like, notice that like, like, I won't even get into what, what the argument is in terms of women who wear the headscarf who are coerced into way into doing it, and women who do not. But notice that even in the worst case scenario that he predicates, which is that some women are forced into doing so, fine. We would still prefer that those women do not face additional Islamophobia, insofar as this is a mechanism for reducing that Islamophobia or to allow Western feminists to understand that Islamophobia or to be aware of that Islamophobia a bit better. We are happy. Finally, fourthly, and this is my favourite point, Stormfront will notice that feminism has fallen to the Muslims. Like, notice that I don't care what Stormfront do, insofar as they will continue to do terrible things, regardless of what feminism ever does against it. They will always do that, it is never a reason to not do a thing. But notice also, like, like, well, I just don't think that Stormfront are running, running the media, and therefore probably don't have any kind of effect except for people who already look at the Stormfront website, in which case I think they're lost causes. Framing. Oh yeah, I shouldn't have called it framing, but it is, right? Notice that an 
argument that says that we should not take a tool that uniquely belongs to Muslim women away from them is to essentialize the entirety, of, or at least half of an entire religion, to the wearing of a headscarf, many of whom do not wear that headscarf, many of whom either, either because it is culturally not the thing that their particular version of Islam does and does not do, or because it is perhaps the, 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 what, what is culturally done within their version of Islam, but they still choose not to do it. There are vast waves of women who do not wear the headscarf despite the fact that many around them do. We do think, however, so what do we, what we mean by that? We mean it is not a central aspect of your experience of life as a Muslim woman that you wear the headscarf. It is, however, a central aspect, we think, of the lives of women who do wear the headscarf, that they experience a very specific form of Islamophobia that is mixed with misogyny. It is that specific intersection that we are affecting in this debate. We do not claim to be affecting any other intersection. We think we can we can face this intersection very well. No, thank you. Whether that is through consciousness raising within Western feminism itself, that this is an issue that has been neglected, or it operates as a visual tool to show other people that this is something that is being done in the rest of the world and that we think is problematic. We think that like and this is point number one on Western feminism. Like, we think that a huge issue in Western feminism is not even that it ignores um, uh, the, 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 the problems that women of colour face, and specifically Muslim women face. They often do do that. But rather that they point to the issues that Muslim women face and say, no, that's not sexism, that's racism. That's a different thing. Because sexism is the stuff that happens to white women and everything else that happens is racism. We think that is false. We think ultimately, generally, those things are the product of an intersection of both misogyny and sexism and of a very specific form of Islamophobia that is created when Islamophobes <coughs> see women wearing the hijab. Again, that is the only intersection myself and Kian are interested in. We think that what this like we think that what, what happens now is that as a Western feminist who has been led to believe or has allowed themselves to believe that issues that do not that are not uh, faced by white women are therefore not sexism, is that it requires them to interrogate the reasons either why they believe that or the reasons that other people believe that. But because even if it's the case that you are moving in a feminist circle, and this is where we think that this debate actually has any effect, which is why we're talking about it. <laughs> other women within that circle wearing a headscarf in order to explain or to empathise or to show solidarity with women who also do that in other parts of the world, whether that's consciously, sorry, voluntarily or involuntarily, that at least is a discussion and an acceptance that there is a huge void in feminism in dealing with those specific issues faced by women who face sexism and Islamophobia. I think there are particular ways in which this has a strong signaling effect. Number one, because the way in which third wave feminism sees empowerment ultimately sexual empowerment. See, that is incorrect and should be challenged. I'll take you in a minute. But specifically, it thinks empowerment means dressing in a way that we think normatively is done in the male gaze. I think anything that challenges what empowerment means, whether that is wearing a headscarf as empowerment or dressing um, uh, or, or, or dressing whatever way you want as empowerment is a net good and something that feminism should welcome. Go. So Islamophobes tend to be anti-feminist too. Why is this co-option of headscarves going to have any, any argumentative power? Why are they going to listen? But like, the thing is, myself and Kian never claims that this will be the straw that breaks the Islamophobes back. The entirety of my speech, which apparently you've been conveniently ignoring while thinking of your POI, is that even if this has no effect on Islamophobes, it does affect women within Western feminist circles who do not conventionally think that Islamophobia faced by women is sexism. We think it is, and we think this is a specific visual tool that can be used in aid of that. Not always for women, but sometimes. And finally, on the demands we make of women, because we think ultimately this is an issue that all feminists should be concerned in. Because ultimately what we demand 
women is that they always adhere to whatever it is that we believe is best for them. How they wear, why they wear it, what relationship they have with themselves, with other people, with their spouses, with their gods. And we expect them to do so in a way that is normatively correct to us, and anyone who deviates from that is wrong. And you notice that usually the people who deviate from it the most are people that feminism needs to protect because those are the most vulnerable. Ultimately, we think, therefore, feminists have an absolute desire and need to deconstruct any narrative that tells women that they ought to do one thing or ought to do another. We think the visual wearing of a thing that people that people are, are, are hounded for is an incredibly like good way of doing that, even if only in a minority of cases required to do, we think you should do it in those cases. We're happy to propose. I want to talk about Islamophobia, where it comes from, why it wasn't addressed, and Keane said it the first time around, why I have to say it again. Second of all, I'm going to talk about how feminism gets rejected within Muslim communities, why that is terrible for Muslim women and is antithetical to feminist values. Third of all, I'm going to talk about the meaning of a headscarf and why we delegitimize it as a symbol when we do this. Okay, getting straight into it. Islamophobia. Keen tells you that Islamophobia comes about because people fear that Muslims are taking over the country and they will force our women to cover up, right? And they will all be eating like halal food or something and that will corrode our values and our culture, right? This is not a nice viewpoint, but this is where this viewpoint comes from. I think it's important that we characterise where Islamophobia comes from, right? It's especially coming about due to, like, due to the migrant crisis at the moment where people are taking in mass influx of these refugees and they think that it is corroding their culture and their values. Now, another point that we have to address is are feminist messages, messages always understood by absolutely everyone? No. Why? Because they're filtered through a patriarchal media. That's why myths like the feminine Nazis who want to kill all men actually exist and are still bought into it by a lot of people, right? Because not everyone understands like, the, the objectives of feminism like, on an unbiased manner, right? So, even if your feminists go around shouting, we're doing it in solidarity, the kind of person who hates Muslims, who thinks that we're taking in too many migrants and that they would take our women, now see women in hijabs everywhere they go. They're not really going to understand this message as like solidarity. They'll take, they're not going to take the rational feminist idea behind it. And they see that these women like, are, are wearing this hijab and it just confirms all of the biases that they previously had. So we can't buy our OG's presumption that Islamophobia will decrease. Or they said, we don't really care if Islamophobia decreases. We kind of do. We think that's very important for these Muslim women that they're not facing this kind of oppression. We think that if we have proved that Islamophobia gets worse because of racist bias, that biases are now confirmed, that is bad for those women. Right. And why feminism gets rejected within these Muslim communities. Okay. Western women, maybe not white Western women, even though like a lot of them are, but Western women in general, have one conceptualization of what their struggle is, which is born out of the conflicts that they face in their society. This is very different to the, the, the conflicts that like Muslim women face in their societies, right? So, things like birth control or dress codes banning crop tops might be very important for you if you're living in the US. It's not such a big issue in Saudi Arabia, right? What is a big issue in Iran, for example, is that, like, the historic numbers of women who put themselves forward on the ballot in the, the, the elections like last week, right? And they were all removed, every single one of them, denied their ability to run in government, right? That's a feminist issue in Iran, right? That's not something that white feminists could like, even conceptualize as being an issue anymore, right? For Muslim women living in the West, for example, feminist issues that affect them are that they are not only discriminated by gender, but on the basis that they cover their head which like, people conflict with the idea that they must have nothing in it if they cover their head, right? Their religion is misrepresented, their people attacked and discriminated, right? We think that, where is this going? All right. 
within Muslim communities against feminism is the absolutely worst outcome from this debate and would be antithetical to any feminist values, right? <coughs> what we think we need is slow acceptance of um, feminist values within, the, within these cultures, right? Um, so that we can get the outcomes that they would want, like men never forcing them to wear hijabs, right? But we think that... But when Muslim men see white women or Western women or any kind of women that we want to talk about delegitimizing the hijab, hijacking their symbols, they're probably going to be incredibly like pissed off of this or aggressive about this, right? They're going to be opposed to what feminism is because they see that these women are coming along, taking their symbols, taking their religion, taking their culture, but understanding it, right? Um, and like being like like I'm going to be getting on to my second point, right? But we think that you're going to get them inc like incredibly incised against the feminist movement. This is very bad because it makes them double down on the kind of gender roles that uh, um, that exist. You see, you see them doubling down on the kind of ideas that they think that men, like that husbands should control their wives and stuff like this. We need acceptance of Muslim or uh, Muslim of feminist values, right? And we think that anything that opposes them or like incises them against the feminist movement is probably a harmless debate. Okay, so like in order for it to be true that Muslim communities will now overwhelmingly reject feminism, you have to believe that all or at least most Muslim women will react in the same way to this. Do you think that all Muslim women will most actively think the same way or not? Okay, first of all, it's a strong one, but second of all, I don't think that all Muslim women think in the same way. However, I think that some Muslim men, some, maybe not all of them, but some of them will see this as a tap on their women and their values, and maybe a lot of like, Muslim people in general, because that's what I'm getting into, and how this delegitimizes a religious symbol that is incredibly really important to people. And yeah, we think that some people are going to reject this, right? Okay. Just because you are white or not, and from the West, does not mean that everything is about you. You do not earn the right to highly personal parts of my belief. So we say that some, like, Muslims believe that only Muslims are allowed to go to certain parts of Mecca, and that's okay, right? Just because you're a white person doesn't mean you have the right to saunter in and take over something that belongs to them. This is the same principle that we apply to wearing headscarves, right? We think that feminist values sometimes are antithetical to Islam. So like feminists that go around and they say that they're <coughs> liberated or that they're a-religious. That's good for them, but it is disrespectful for them then to co-opt an Islamic symbol, right? And not abide by the principles that go along with that symbol, right? right. In the same vein, it's incredibly offensive to wear a Native American head, uh, Indian headscarf, right? Or headdress, sorry. Because it is a mark of respect in that society, right? And you're just co-opting that symbol without understanding what it actually means. So there are cultural and re religious reasons embodied in these symbols. And if they don't matter to you, if those cultural and religious things are meaningless to you, then you don't deserve to wear it in the first place, right? We think that feminists have to address Islamophobia within their society, right? But we don't think they should do it in a moral, insensitive and hurtful way, right? That incises people <coughs> to be more Islamophobic and incises the Muslim community against feminists, right? We think that what's more important is they attack a bigoted narrative about Muslims, right? We think that feminism has to say the tough talk that just like this dismantles structures, right? like like people wanted to say. But we think that this is the kind of stuff they have to do is saying that actually we don't think that the hijab always is an oppressive thing. We think that some people choose to wear it, right? By conflating the narrative that the hijab is always oppressive, right? They're just like legitimizing that viewpoint, right? We also think it's a part of the government thing that people will understand the hijab now that white Western women are wearing it, right? We think you have to try harder than that. You think you have to take Muslims at face value and ask them their own opinion on it and not conflate their own movement. As Keane tells you, white women can take it off when the movement isn't trendy anymore. Uh, uh, Muslim women can't, right? This is something that belongs to them deeply. It's felt by them. It's important to them, right? 
We don't think that we should adopt someone else's oppression, especially when we get no good outcomes from it. We're very proud. by the noble alternative of having Muslim women speak on their own behalves and fighting for their own causes, which is something that Muslim feminists have tried to do for the past hundreds of years. What they neglect is that Western feminists, unfortunate as it might be, are currently the ones who hold the gateway to the necessary resources as well as capital to do anything to redress the harms of discrimination, whether, sexual, or whether, it's, whether it's sexism or racism. Three things in extension. First, how we tangibly help with Muslim women. Second, how we increase the capacity of like, Western feminists to understand the kinds of suffering faced by Muslim women. Last of all, why this does not amount to a misappropriation or is, uh, insensitivity. First point, therefore, how does this help Muslim women? Recognize the reality that we live in today means that Western feminists are the ones who have three things. One, the greatest access to resources needed to spread and channel their causes. Two, the ones with the necessary organizational structures and capabilities. But three, also just the ones with the loudest voices to campaign for causes they deem important. The systematic problems that they face in the status quo are several fold. They suffer from a lack of visibility because the most prominent groups of feminists fighting for causes tend to be the ones who are not Muslim feminists. This is why, even as our understanding of feminism has become more we find today where we discuss intersectionality, we often talk about colored women, trans women, or poor economically, like, economically suffering women. We rarely or hardly ever talk about Muslim women, and that is a gaping loophole in our current discourse that we think is abhorrent. Why then do we need to use the specific mechanism of Western feminists using the hit stuff? Something OG never told you, right? Three reasons. The first is that it's a uniquely visual mode, and this visuality is important for a couple of reasons. It embodies the rich history of the Muslim culture in a way that no other, like, textual or textual mechanism can. All tells us that symbols are always clumsy. Winning symbols are essentially fundamental to the success of any movement because they make that movement inherently identifiable. But more than that, it's important that it's visual because that's why your message gets across to people quickly. People aren't interested in reading 10,000 word long manifestos on what it means to be a suffering Muslim woman. The visual mode of it makes that message as accessible. The second is that a headscarf carries the weight of the community behind it. When you wear a headscarf, you intensely associate with the entire Muslim community in a way that no other mechanism can. But last of all, we think it's inherently symbolic. And this symbolism also undercuts their arguments about a cultural appropriation, right? With a white privileged woman who has like, stood on her coattails to succeed in ways uh, that she probably doesn't deserve of her own, now puts on a headscarf, we think it's a very powerful acknowledgement that she's putting aside her privilege and in fact conferring a huge deal of respect upon a culture that has historically suffered from a lack of such privilege. Unlike appropriation, we think it represents a very nice like, subjugation of her own privileges and her willingness to cast the privilege aside from herself. No. What then are the practical benefits we get out of this? The first is that we raise awareness, but it doesn't just stop at this course. This is the kind of awareness you need to put like issues of discrimination against Muslim women on political agendas when politicians campaign. Second, like, this is an inherent value in having a sense of community with Muslim women. But third of all, it also helps Muslim women in the West, right? So if presumably they stand by Muslim women campaigning on their own, this might work in places like the Middle East where there exists a huge following of like, Muslim women. Not so much in the West where the Muslim women are literally like, just a minority there and have literally no voice on their own. No. But last of all, that's why we get more discussed, like, nuanced discussions about things like intersectionality become far more inclusive. What they all tell us? Their alternative is the status quo, which we have pointed out has manifestly failed in the past century's right. They tell us that this wasn't Islamophobia. Two 
things. Why? We think in general, even if that is true, compare that against like, the massively increase in like, the amount of awareness you generate, we think it's probably still a net gain on our side. But second, like, we're literally uh, like, helping Muslim women here. We don't see why this generates any kind of Islamophobia given that Muslim women are the ones who are likely to be in, fa in favor of this. Second point, therefore, how does it increase the capacity of Western feminists to relate to the causes of Muslim women? Two things. The first is that you uniquely enhance their capacity to empathize. Recognize that the sufferings and discrimination of Muslim women, if they tell us, are only capable of being understood by Muslim <coughs> women themselves. This means that it's fundamentally something that's experientially inaccessible. What is unique about a Western feminist wearing a headscarf is that when she walks through the streets, she literally feels the effects of people looking at her with a different gaze. She gets treated differently. People view her with far more suspicion. This is why, if they tell us that, if, uh, if what they say is true, that the problems of Muslim women are so unique and so exclusive that no one else can understand them, we break that barrier to understanding. And the only reason you can break that barrier is by putting yourself to that very seminal experience. This is why, for instance, Western feminists are likely to be far more successful when they talk about the problems faced by Muslim women. No, because it isn't just a generic form of Oh, I'm discriminated against. It's the kinds of ways people like treat you with suspicion. The way they avoid being in the same room as you when you're wearing a headscarf, and that places Western feminists in a far more like uh, 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 in a far better position to talk about these issues. Go ahead. If your symbol offends the people you want to protect, if it's misunderstood by your opponents, and if all it does amongst your internal ranks is foster a tokenistic feeling that you've done enough, what good is it? Yeah. So we think, like, first of all, the main problem facing um, Western feminism is actually a sense that they haven't done enough for Muslim women. We're not sure why they feel offended. And second, we just don't think it would be offensive given that we think Muslim women would be quite in favour of this, especially because we don't think that wearing the headscarf is like the be-all and end-all that represents what their culture is. The second reason why we enhance the capacity of Western feminists is because now they're held to do more on behalf of Muslim women. Considering now that this is likely to be fairly like vocal and public uh, as a public move, the cost now when Western feminists later backtrack and don't do anything concrete or substantial to the lives of Muslim women means that they incur massively larger costs than they otherwise would have had. The comparative is this. On their side, the Western feminists can continue neglecting the causes of Muslim women with impunity and they will suffer absolutely no backlash from it. On our side, after they have done this and people know about this, when Western feminists now neglect the problems that Muslim women face, they're likely to incur far more backlash and be called out for it and that will hold them accountable. Third point, why is this not appropriation or insensitivity? Two things, right? The real harm of appropriation comes about when people are silenced. When Miley Cyrus goes about donning like Japanese clothing, this is appropriation because the Japanese aren't in a position to talk back about it. There's a fundamental power of asymmetry here. This is quite the opposite. There's no silencing because there's literally quite the opposite where there's a mechanism by which Western feminists speak on behalf and vocalize the sufferings that Muslim women face. Quite the opposite, we grant them a voice to the voices. The second is that it's usually done, like in this case, it's done in a position of respect. What happens with appropriation is that you trivialize the problems that minorities face. In this case, we think Western feminists are quite likely to be sensible and go, we respect that this is a, like you're facing a, the problem of Islamophobia, and we're quite like to show our solidarity with you and do it in a way that's not as harmful as or would like to characterize. They tell us this also takes out their arguments about how now Muslims will hate feminism. Quite the opposite, we think Muslims will now be quite in favor of feminism, given now you can concretely see the benefits that feminism affords to them, but they otherwise thought would have thought that feminism is only relevant to the lives of white women. For all these reasons out there, this is not a debate about whether or not it amounts to appropriation. Quite the opposite, it tangibly helps the lives of Muslim women, incredibly proud to propose. I'd like to thank that speaker, and call
upon the Member of Opposition to continue to give your side. Okay. There's been a long-standing and incredibly interesting debate throughout the Islamic world and among Muslim women as to what exactly the headscarf means, it, as to what exactly the hijab means. It means vastly different things for vast numbers of people. For example, some branches of Sunni Islam see it as like an essential prerequisite to being a true Muslim at all. There are a number of other branches. For example, Shia Islam sees it largely as a signal of unusual devotion, and you wouldn't expect most women to wear it, but some women who are particularly devoted or particularly holy might. There's even some branches which just see it as a modernist fad, like as this is something that was imported from Christianity Christian cultures throughout the Middle East and was essentially disseminated among, um, among Islam and don't see it as being a particularly significant form of Islam. I think there's a number of problems that, that, that uh, Western feminists doing this action does. Like Specifically when this action is, tends to be done as a one-off event rather than as a lifestyle choice. And it's done specifically as a tool in order to raise awareness rather than it being part of your life. I'm going to talk about three things. First of all, how this removes control and autonomy from Muslim women in terms of how they relate to their faith. Secondly, how this trivializes the headscarf and makes it easier for things like bands of the headscarf to get passed. Thirdly, how this affects Muslim women who don't wear the headscarf, who don't wear the headscarf when, it's, uh, when, you put for, when you put forward the idea and make the connection that this is the primary symbol of Islam. Because recognize, when Western feminists are doing this to show solidarity with Muslim women, it makes it seem as though the headscarf is, it essentially essentializes the headscarf to, being, to what a Muslim means. It to be an inherent or intrinsic link to what being a Muslim is. So, a few points. First of all, and first of all, in terms of so, like, first of all, in terms of in terms of how you remove control, recognize that the decision to wear or to not wear a headscarf is a key part of your religious is a key part of your religious identity, which is an enormous part of your life. It's probably one of the most significant parts of your identity, given that this also relates to your afterlife and your immortal soul going forward. If that's if that's what you believe, recognize this means that Muslim women are no longer able to choose how it is that they relate to this decision themselves. Why? Because it means that the decision to wear a headscarf becomes an association with feminism. It Comes associated with the Western feminism and with the idea that if you do this, you're standing with the feminist movement, or this is becoming a, a particularly feminist move. This might link you up ideologically to lots of other causes that you may or may not agree with in terms of other things that in terms of other things that West that Western feminists that Western feminists do. Recognize the normalization of it. Because like, like the only link OG give as to why this will benefit Muslim women is the idea that you normalize this. I point out, first of all, this is probably not true, given this, as this is likely to be seen as a novelty, as a special media, as a special media event, and it is unlikely to make this particularly normal. But secondly, normalization is specifically harmful to Muslim women in terms of loss of control. Because often the headscarf is used as a means of showing extraordinary devotion, or, or, like, or specifically isn't supposed to be normalized. It's not supposed to be something that all people wear. It's something you wear as a statement of your identity, as a statement of your particular identity, rather than something that all women do. You completely erode this thing. Specifically, on the notion that this causes women to empathize, to cause Western feminists to empathize, recognize that this is incredibly harmful, because it means Western feminists think they know what it is like to wear the headscarf, and think they know what it is like to be a Muslim woman. Recognize clearly they can never know this. Recognize they can never experience the same, they can never experience the same things you learn from being brought up, brought up in a faith. They can never experience the same intersection of race and religion, and how that and how that and how that affects you here. What it does so is make them think that they can. This is specifically problematic when Western feminists think they know what it's like to wear a headscarf. Think they know how it is that Muslim women experience ex, 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 experience this. Recognize 
this is incredibly problematic because it means that the Western voices, for all the reasons, like for, for, specifically for the reasons Crop gave, and that they tend to be more socially powerful, then tend to completely dominate the discussion as to what exact as to what exactly this means. Recognize, like, like recognize, secondly, like this is an enormous problem. Like, like this narrative, uh, th this narrative that Western women essentially know best. Do you think they internalize when they say, look, we cannot do anything to help Muslims unless we wear this, unless we wear this. Like Muslim women cannot help themselves. It's required that we wear the headscarf and do and do and do this for them. Recognize this is specifically the narrative, which means which means that th that things like how it is we should respond to questions of forced marriage or questions of female genital mutilation are overwhelmingly dominated by white Western voices, which is massively unhelpful in terms of trying to actually because they have no real understanding of how of how different cultures operate. They tend towards things like overly simplistic responses that don't that simply don't help women. But it's specifically the presumption that the narrative or presumption that Western feminists create when they do this is the idea that it is always a free choice or always a symbol of empowerment. Recognize this is an incredibly dangerous narrative to be putting forward when, whenever any relation or any attitude to society towards the headscarf it like, like assumes uh, as a starting point that this is a free choice, when often for many women it is not. It colors that response, and we say this is real harm in this sense. No, thank you. We say, secondly, this trivializes the headscarf at the point at which it's just not seen to be of particular significance. If this is something that non-Muslims can put on and take off all the time and can do essentially as a publicity show to drum up a bit of support, to drum up a bit of support for some of their causes. We think this does a couple of things. First of all, we think this doesn't lead to, first of all, we think this is just likely to lead to Western women thinking they have discharged any duty they have towards Muslims. We don't think there is a particular disincentive in terms of, well, if they then don't do good things, it's embarrassing when they backtrack on this later. They'll think, no, no, I've done my part, I've raised my awareness. Secondly, in terms of opponents of the headscarf, recognize like, 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 recognize, like the, the actual racists who want to ban the headscarf exist on both sides of the house. We don't think this is particularly significant. We think often the reason they're largely unsuccessful in getting this through in countries like Britain where UKIP or members of the Conservative Party have sometimes tried is because the majority of the population views the headscarf as being of something of deep religious significance to Muslim women. We think at the point at which it's trivialized, which is just a costume, at the point at which it's something anyone could wear, it removes the significance and you remove the opposition of a broad base of people who view it as being of particular religious significance. But also of other religious conservatives from other religions who will tend to ally in things like opposing headscarf bans because they see it as being an infringement on religious freedom. Kalina, go. Okay, like the Western feminists crowd out Muslim voices when they talk on Muslim issues. Yep. Is, it, is it ever possible for a Western feminist to mobilise their privilege in order to better the lives of Muslim women, or do you just give them a pass? No, no, I mean, clearly you can do this, right? Clearly you could ask Muslim women what they want, what they want done, or listen to Muslim women, or elevate them in positions of leadership. You're doing exactly the opposite. So we think when you say, we want to consult Muslim women, we think most of them will say, no, we don't want you to wear the headscarf. Recognise in that case in order to be consistent with the prop. You then need to ignore their requests specifically and overrule them. We think when there are large numbers of Muslim women who say we don't want non-Muslims to wear the headscarf because we view this as being particularly significant to our religion, you simply have to overrule them. So we think it becomes much worse in that case. Thirdly, we think the notion that this, that we think creating the idea that the headscarf is an intrinsically associated symbol with Islam places an enormous societal pressure and expectation upon all Muslims to wear it even if they don't want to. Recognize, first of all, this is just likely to be experienced as another form of coercion and another form of removal of freedom at the point which is expected at the point at which it's expected that you don't. But say, at the point at which it's expected that you don't, we think this is likely to be experienced. We think this is likely to entrench the sort of uh, like certain certain conservatives who might wish to impose this upon all women at the point at which it seems to be intrinsic to defending Islam or being associated with your faith at all when it becomes uh, associated or centralized in this way. See, this is harms for all these reasons proposed. Speech and 
will this offend all Muslim women, or indeed most Muslim women? We suggest that if the answer to this question could indeed be answered within the confines of this debate, then it would be trivially either a bad idea if all or most Muslim women were very offended by this, or a good idea if all of them thought that this was great. What we say is that actually, given there are you know, somewhere between 800 million and a billion Muslim women, they're guaranteed to have a wide variety of opinions about whether this is good or whether this is bad. Thus, we say that talking about you know, this specific um, you know, terms that, uh, the, the ways in which Muslim women may view or may not view this, we think is actually particularly important, but can only happen once you have the initial conversation which gets those viewpoints to being heard and discussed in the first place. And that's what export Uniquely, it is a blunt tool, right? We are perfectly happy to accept that symbols can sometimes be a blunt tool, but they are a blunt tool that we use to then get to a system by which we can have the more nuanced discussion that teams like opening and closing off would like us to have. Four things in this speech. Direct responses to CO, uh, Western feminism, why they have a unique ability to help, uh, why they help, and then lastly, uh, appropriation. So first, CO, they say, yeah, you know, this stuff about, like, you know, Muslims have various different schools of thought, and the first minute and a half of his speech is, like, genuinely interesting, but um, ultimately non-comparative. Because we say, yes, it is true that many Muslim women have different opinions about what type of headscarf they should wear, whether they should wear it at all, and all these different reasons. And at no point are we ever saying that Western women should come in and say, hey guys, this is now you should wear the hijab. We just find it unlikely that all the stuff about how women so overwhelmingly pressurized by Western feminism adopting the burqa when, say, you know, 10 or 100 or maybe even a 1,000, like, rich white academics, you know, writing, like, essays in Harvard are going to suddenly overwhelm the pressures from, you know, the other billion members of your community or the fact that that's the community you operate in your day-to-day -day life, the fact that you have your own interpretation of the Quran, the fact that you go to the mosque. These are the things that are going to inform and color your opinions about whether you should or whether you want to wear a hijab and in what ways you will wear it. We think it's just really unlikely that, you know, a couple of white feminists wearing a hijab on TV and saying we are doing this because we express solidarity with you is going to fundamentally change and devalue your approach to the religion. And they're saying with the trivialization thing, I think ultimately it's probably just a numbers game. He says, oh, what will happen is Western feminists will go around saying, oh, you know, we know what it's like to be a Muslim woman. We know what it's like to be oppressed. And this trivializes and offends people. We say no, because like, it is probably just true that bad feminists will do you know, policies that might be really good and interpret them and do them in bad ways. We suggest that the way we set this up is that actually what's uniquely great about this is when, you know, the, the, the Christian <coughs> professor who got fired from that, like, Wheaton College or whatever it is in the States for wearing hijab, what happened is everyone, the first question on everyone's lips is, why? Why are you wearing this? And she then writes her article. She then explains her story, which isn't, I think I understand the entirety of Muslim oppression. It's, I'm doing this specifically to express solidarity because I think this is an issue that isn't talked about enough. So we say, yes, maybe terrible feminists will do this terribly, but ultimately that's not to any debate in this situation. We agree that Western feminism can never truly understand the types of oppression that Muslim women face, which is why, absent at least an attempt to, there will never be the kind of discourse and discussion that he wants Western feminism to have. Because if he could never empathize or identify with any of these struggles, how are you expected to talk about them in a constructive way? And when the platform doesn't exist, for Muslim women presently, the only people with the platform, namely white Western feminists, need to use it in a good way. So why they ought to? Because as we said, throughout a few hundred years, you know, Western feminism has evolved and has talked about different issues. But ultimately, the question of feminism exists and the question of fighting the patriarchy exists alongside a whole host of other types of oppression, which feminism like straddles fairly effectively, right? So when we talk about things like classism, when we talk about racism, these are all things which all women, it doesn't matter, like, uh, sorry, you can 
can be a woman and experience any other type of privilege in various forms. And this is important, because what it means is that the feminist movement has evolved alongside those structures to take a specific class of women, white, rich, liberal, academically gifted women, you know, who, who go, go to university and sit there and write essays about these sorts of things, and then these people are given the forefront and the clout and the ability to discuss these other issues. And we say they probably, therefore, just owe a duty to other women who have been shut out from the system to do something about it. And we say that actually, often the discussions they have do just shut out these women. As was pointed out, when you're discussing about whether pornography is innately anti-feminist, whether specific types of pornography are feminist or anti-feminist, that's just a discussion which might be very interesting, but fundamentally misunderstands the fact that there are huge numbers of women walking around the UK or the United States who face a much more visceral type of oppression that you yourself will never understand because you're insulated from that by virtue of your privilege. And we say there's actually just a value in being a white feminist who wears a hijab, walks down the street in Bradford and gets heckled because then you might at least a little bit understand these types of things and then you might then do things like and this is the second part why it helps women you might do things like start writing articles about it, say I understood one tenth one hundredth one millionth of the type of oppression that these women face but through it, I understand and now care about these things. So you write these articles. What happens then? You know, and we said a headscarf is uniquely effective for the reasons X brings you more so than these guys by talking about it. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, it's not that important. But more importantly, it creates a discussion. Why? Because firstly, it is just like visually shocking and then people will write these articles. But also, it means that people can view it in a way they can understand. Yes, a white woman can never truly understand Muslim oppression, but what she can understand is, you know, when a white woman wears a headscarf and then writes about the type of oppression that she felt, then someone who doesn't wear the headcloth can, as, as, a, as, a, as like a sign of solidarity, can understand that. It's not just women, because Islamophobia is not something that happens in the abstract. It's just a, a series of like conscious and unconscious prejudice that otherwise well-meaning people, or some like not so well-meaning people, may or may not have. And so getting people to read an article in The Guardian that says, I'll take you just off this sentence, getting people to read an article in The Guardian that says, this is what it's sort of like to be a Muslim woman, and then to understand their own behaviour and change it, is actually really useful. Go. Okay. When the discussion consists solely of non-Muslims thinking they understand, but not really, I'm not sure why it has any value. And if they do understand and know what issues would help Muslim women, why can't they just campaign on those already? Why does it require this intermediate step that also offends people? Right, because it's just not true that there are enough, like, there aren't, you know, prominent, like, critical Muslim thought articles being written in The Guardian or on the front page of BBC News. But that is when this happens. It's just a simple game. We're not saying people should do this ad infinitum. We're saying, yes, it's a blunt tool, it's a battering ram by which we get the situation. If white women wear these headscarves and then a Muslim woman, feminist scholar writes an article, a response piece in The Guardian or whatever to say this is wrong and I don't think it, we say that's a win, right? That is a win if people say that that is problematic and then write to talk about it because otherwise you never get that discussion. We open the doors by which Muslim feminists can come through and can air their own opinions. And that's why it's not appropriation. The appropriation is denying a voice to someone who otherwise has it. But at the moment, these people don't have a voice. We generate a platform, we allow the voice to have a voice and go into the future, we won't need to do this, and that will be great. Okay, let's engage with what seems to be the main actual practical impact of the crop case going down the bench. We heard a bit from opening about providing discussion points within feminist circles, and then going down the bench they extended on this by saying maybe they will write an article. Now, <laughs> so, 
Sorry, I didn't mean to be mean. Sorry, that's slightly harsh. But, like, <laughs> like, first of all, like, clearly, a discussion point in and of itself is not an ultimate absolute good, right? You point out that every single example of cultural appropriation that happens in pop music produce, produces a massive talking shop for feminists, bloggers to write lots of stuff about it. I think most people would still argue it's probably better if that appropriation didn't happen in the first place if all you're getting is a talking shop. But secondly, and crucially, um, there, there's very little benefit specifically of this policy. It's really key to understand that, right? Because feminist groups are very imaginative. They're imaginative enough to come up with a better way of highlighting issues of discrimination other than this one. What we needed was reasons why specifically this terrible idea was uniquely useful in being able to discuss and raise awareness about issues of discrimination. So let's look at the extent to which we did have unique reasons for that, and it largely comes from being able to understand what it's like to be a Muslim because you've wore a, a headscarf down a high street and now you've got the issues. Like we point out that walking down a high street in a headscarf does not give you the right to claim that you understand, first of all, the religious importance attached to that symbol. It doesn't mean you have the right to understand the decision-making process that goes into deciding whether for you the headscarf is something that you must wear or choose not to wear. It's clearly an important issue that boils down more to, I'm going to do this as something to write a blog about. It doesn't give you an understanding of 24 7, uh, 24 hour, uh, hour pressure that faces these people. So clearly, cl like claiming to be able to understand now um, uh, 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 is obviously problematic if you don't actually have that understanding. What we get from some is to say, like, oh, but they'll only claim to understand the teeny teeny little bit that they do understand. Like, I, I suggest that most people aren't going to write a blog under that pretense. You aren't going to start a blog by saying, I now understand one millionth of one percent of, of what it's like, therefore everybody listen to me, my blog is incredibly important. We, we point out finally on this comparative, right? Like, in terms of these, the people that they're talking about, it's presumably people who are reasonably empathetic already, if you're willing to go to these lengths to do this, right? So you're presumably not going to be writing awful articles in the first place. So, so you're not losing out that much. The, well, the alternative that you are losing out of is the crowding out of Muslim voices who could be writing the exact same article from a position of considerably better knowledge. Because they don't have to write, I spent a day wandering down a high street. They spent, I spent literally every day of my life wandering around, uh, walking in a headscarf. And I know exactly what it's like. That is a far more insightful piece of literature. And that's something that is a direct opportunity cost of the, of the closing government. Uh, no thank you. Um, I'd point out also, in terms of um, getting the feminist movement on side, I think our, what our substantive does is provide you the links to show why, although not all Muslims think the Chris. same, uh, most are going to be alienated by this policy. Because the conservatives, are, uh, more conservative Muslims are likely to be offended by the trivialisation, and the liberals are likely to be offended because of their erasure. I'll deal with both of these in a second, but ultimately that makes it much harder to get Chris. any of the positive change that, I, that either of the teams want to talk about. So I'm going to sort of sum this in a couple of areas. I think they, they the main area I want to look at, first of all, um, is, the, is creating a depiction that this is what it means to be a Muslim. Um, what they tell us, interestingly from government, is that they're, what they're doing is removing the automatic association of, of, a hijab, of the hijab with religion. But, but they're clearly playing into this, right? They, they, what, you've what you've decided to do uh, is that you've you made a conscious decision. I want to show solidarity with Muslim women. How am I going to go about that? I am going to put on a hijab. If that doesn't say this is what it means to be a Muslim, I 
don't know what does. Now, opening government know that this is false from D- for, because from DPM they give lots of reasons why many and lots of evidence of why many women don't actually do this. So they know they're giving a false depiction of what it means to be a Muslim. Like to the extent that this seems to have an impact, it seems to be that now if you wander down the street and see somebody in a headscarf, you won't know that it's a Muslim. This would be only true if this was happening on a mass scale on a day-by-day basis. The majority of the types of solidarity acts that they're talking about is a one-off. They're talking about events like Wear Hijab Day, which is apparently a big thing in Canada. Sure, there are some there, there are some people that will do it for longer periods of time, but by and large, this is a cat, like catastrophically small minority of people. So, like it, as a consequence of the emotion, it doesn't change the fact that any time you see a hijab, you're going to presume uh, Muslim. No, thank you. So ultimately, we think clearly, uh, as an individual, your own religious identity is absolutely fundamental to you. And we think think the biggest impact of this debate, and one which which we bring exclusively from closing opposition, is the feminist movement specifically eroding that key aspect of your identity by telling you that that they have created a picture of what a Muslim is and you don't fit into that. Um, I'll take opening before I move on. Okay, Chris, so your extension told us two things. One, that this essentializes the headscarf as a core part of the Muslim faith, and two, that it trivializes it, means it isn't viewed as a core part of the Muslim faith. Which version of Owen is okay, right and why? No, no, they're both perfectly consistent. The point is, first of, first of all, ev- like, if you are a Muslim, you should wear a headscarf, right? That is not inconsistent with the claim that putting on a headscarf is not a particularly significant decision for you. They Both of those claims run in parallel and crucially affect different actors within this debate because different people suffer from different uh, different pressures. You were the team that was determined to tell us that not all Muslims are the same, and we're providing the analysis which is consistent with that. Recognise also, following on from this point, what you're doing is intervening in a genuine debate within the Muslim community. Now, it's obviously not our case from closing opposition that the hijab is a bad thing, but it is our case that some Muslims do think that, and some Muslims choose not to wear it, because there are d- different Quranic authorities, some who, will, some, some, who, some who will tell you that the hijab was never meant, used to mean headscarf head in the Quran, never endorsed as something that you ought to do. There are some people who will argue that it's used as a tool to oppress women, telling them to cover up their hair so that they don't sexually provoke men, and it's uh, telling them it's their responsibility for, miso- for misogyny that they face. So like, the problem is not that Western feminists themselves are oppressing women for this policy, is that they're legitimising existing oppression that does exist and telling people they aren't real Muslims. Really, that's the biggest harm, that's why we win this debate. On top of this, as they identified, we did also tell you this demeans the significance of a religious object. The, the crucial analysis here is that it portrays a headscarf as something that you just plop on for an afternoon. It's, it's just like any other fashion or novelty item. Right? This is clearly causing direct offence to a different group of people who do wear it and attach monumental significance to that. This has two key impacts. First of all, direct Directly feeding into Islamophobia, which relies on demeaning the importance of something that uh, something that's incredibly important to you, if they can just portray it as quote unquote uh, like uh, like a, a silly scarf. And second of all, it makes oppression uh, it makes uh, oppressive legislation easier to pass because headscarf bans for teachers, like headscarf bans for teachers, on the grounds that it scares little children. This is easier if it isn't an important object to them. Oppose the motion. Say a few things about Queen's University and Ben. So, 
Queen's University uh, in Belfast have a really active debating society. They have 50 people a week that turn up. And they're really eager to get involved in competitive debating again and to be part of the circuit. And one of the main reasons why they hosted this tournament is because they wanted to meet and to network with as many of you guys as possible. So, Ben's a bit shy, but I'm going to make this, I'm going to make this request. Uh, I would like as many of you as possible, when you have debating events, to drop this guy an email, to add him on Facebook. Uh, I also know that you know it's quite hard for me from England to come up and do training in Northern Ireland, but Queen's University have a budget, and they're willing to spend that to subsidise train journeys from Dublin to Belfast, if any of you guys are able to help out with the coaching and training. Yep. And yeah, I can vouch for these guys being lovely, and they genuinely want to be a part of the debating circuit, and a part of the Irish circuit in particular. So David Cameron once said, hug a hoodie, I'm going to ask you to metaphorically and perhaps literally hug a Belfast beta. Um, and also, another round of applause for Ben and everyone from Queen's. Well, I'm going to ask Ben to return the favour by saying, I, I think I like, I like a round of applause for our CA team, so Helen, uh, Tate Navarri, Tierney, uh, Aaron, and of course Shiraz, so a big round of applause for them. Competition will literally just be our council sitting in this room, kind of you know discussing whatever matters coming into our minds. So thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually await the winners. We'll find out soon. Yes, the winners will be announced in about 15, 20 minutes. I think. God knows, final discussions take ages. <laughs> Positioner here at least. <laughs> so, uh, Izzy was deputy chair, and since our chair had to leave for a plane, is now chair and will kindly announce who won the final. After the considerative, so talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Sullivan. In ninth place, we have uh, Cian Leafy. Cian Leafy. 
hard to see. <laughs> okay, uh, with an average of 80.2. Woo! Uh, in eighth place, we have Stephen James Barr. Woo! Uh, with an average of 80.4. In seventh place, we have uh, from KCL Phil Bailey Reid with an average of 80.8. Woo! Uh, in uh, joint fifth place with an average of 81.4 we have Clea um, uh, also in joint fifth place uh, with an average of 81.4 we have Chris Edgar in fourth place uh, with an average of 81.6 we have uh, Darian and in joint second place uh, with an average of 81.8 we have Matt Hazel with 81.8, uh, his partner, Ed Sickle. Ed Sickle. Ed Sickle. Ed Sickle. Ed Sickle. Topping the speaker tab for the Queen's IV from There's a Girl from Bangor and I really want to is Owen Mooney. Woo! Will I do it now? Then I <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so all the stuff up to a few. We had a very good discussion that all teams were considered. Uh, we did reach um, a split decision, a six one split. Um, yeah. Uh, so the team who has won the first Queen's IV in a very long time is opening opposition. Hello, people listening. Yes. Hope you enjoyed all that. It's probably just—it's literally probably just my dad listening to this. Yeah. And now we're moving on to a very nice and calm social here at the Queen's University of Belfast IV. It is a with some entirely responsible uh, entertainment. Absolutely. And we're going to have some charades. Literally no one. Literally no one. For the one person who is. And she says he had the radio voice. You gotta love that radio. You got a radio voice. <laughs> I don't really. Could you say like and so ends? Uh, I don't know. So ends the Queen's University of Belfast inaugural intervarsity. Thank you for coming. Yeah!
your exits to the sides of the rear. You know, you can all go home. Leave me alone. I want to pint, or preferably a shot of Sambuca. Actually, not Sambuca, because I had that last night and that didn't go well. No. So.